That music means your next hour is going to be about connection. Welcome to This Show Is All About You, a show dedicated to discussing and experiencing the things we all have in common. When you and me become we and explore what it means for all of us. Here's your host, historian, writer, social commentator, and a whole lot of other things, J.D.K. Winnekin. Hello, 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 everyone. Welcome to another episode of This Show Is All About You. Thanks for taking the next hour to spend with me as we dive into topics that maybe we hear a lot about but don't always take the time to dig deeply into. I'm not sure how the grammar is in that sentence, but nevertheless, you follow what I mean. And uh, very happy to have you. And uh, if you are listening live to this, thank you so much for doing so. And uh, be careful of all the traffic out there. If you're listening as a podcast, thank you so much for subscribing and leaving a review. Uh, and if you miss any of this episode or any other episodes, you can subscribe to this as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find out more about me and my website, wordsbyjdk.com, as well as on social media at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Look me up, W-Y-N-E-K-E-N. You'll find me rather easily. Would love to hear from you connect with you, hear what you have to say about the show, anything else that you, is on your mind. I'd love to hear about it. So welcome to this week's show. I thank you right off the bat uh, to this show's sponsor, Airway Science for Kids, a Portland-based nonprofit that provides life and career pathway opportunities for underserved youth through the exploration of aerospace careers. And I'm going to talk a little bit about them because uh, I was doing some stuff with them over this this past, not just past weekend, but past previous week that really brought me to today's uh, subject of today's show. Uh, but you are going to hear more about Airway Science for Kids during the show's breaks, and I'll talk a little bit about uh, what it was that kicked off uh, what ended up becoming the topic for today's show here in just a minute. But as is always the case, we lead off the show with a quick look at last week's news in a segment I call What in the World is Going On? In the darkness, Russian men being wrenched away to fight. These are heartbreaking scenes from Dagestan in southern Russia, where wives and mothers, hoping for a last glimpse of loved ones, are wailing in despair. The Kremlin says this is just a partial mobilization, but rights activists tell CNN ethnic minorities in remote regions of Russia are being disproportionately called up, one way perhaps of hiding the impact. And of course, that uh, the, that clip from the supposed mobilization of only 300,000 uh, Russians ordered by Russian Pre- President Vladimir Putin last week in response to the successful uh, invade, uh, successful counterattacks, I should say, by Ukrainian forces in the east and the southern part of the country. Uh, many are calling this um, a major escalation of this war. Uh, the calling up of at least 300,000 um, able-bodied men to fight, certainly by numbers-wise, sounds like a big deal. Uh, but they are only talking about giving some of these men one uh, 10 days of training before they send them to the front. 
And that effectively is going to put them in the line of fire uh, of the Ukrainian military, which at this point now has become a highly professionalized and is extremely motivated, well-armed and well-trained military force, which means those voices you heard of Russian mothers crying, uh, they were crying for very good reason. And who knows what this will do in Russia, of course. Um, Russians have, generally speaking, been fairly apathetic about the war. Of course, they don't know much about it. Uh, uh, because state media really controls what they hear and how they hear it. Uh, but nevertheless, this could very well be the uh, a tipping of the scales in public opinion in Russia. And what that can mean for a dictatorship is always an interesting question and a very vital question, particularly since it is Putin who's directing this war himself by his own free will. Dictators don't do well when the people that they are dictating over decide they don't like what they're doing anymore. And we're seeing some um, some resistance against this in Siberia, where a lot of towns are literally being cleared out of able bodied young men. There was violence earlier today as some people attacked recruiting stations and opened fire on recruiting soldiers that were coming door to door. That could very well be seen elsewhere, but we don't know exactly. And it remains to be seen whether it really is 300,000 people or more who are being conscripted into the Russian army uh, to fight in Ukraine. Because certainly Putin does not want to call for a national mobilization because that will show that this isn't just a special military operation in Ukraine, but is actually a war that is going disastrously poorly for Putin. So it remains to be seen what this will mean. It's probably not going to mean a lot of changes on the battlefield because this is not going to be a motivated series of soldiers being sent to the front line, unless you mean motivated to turn around and go right back home. Okay. So as that is going on, let's talk about the other big event going on in the world that just seemingly popped out of nowhere this last week. Extraordinary scenes in Iran where protesters have taken to the streets for 10 consecutive nights in defiance of an unforgiving crackdown. Threats, a near-internet blackout, and severe warnings from the country's leaders. Iran's president telling authorities they must deal decisively with those who oppose the country's security and tranquility. The protests sparked by the death of 22-year-old Mahsa Amini. She had been arrested by the country's morality police for an alleged violation of Iran's strict Islamic dress code. Officials released this video showing Amini collapsing, but it's unclear what happened beforehand. Police took Amini to a hospital where she died three days later. A massive series of protests, and by massive I mean massive, have erupted in Iran over the last week following that news that you just heard there, the death of a 22-year-old woman in uh, the custody of the so-called morality police in Iran, who since the, uh, the 1979 Islamic Revolution that ousted the Shah and brought in the hardline, uh, extremely conservative and reactionary uh, Shiite regime, uh, has overseen all the public and increasingly the private behavior of Iranian citizens, particularly women. And what's happened is there are 34 main provinces in Iran, and there are 100 million Iranians around the world, uh, including the ones in Iran. In 34 provinces, massive protests arose after the death of this young woman, and many of them, most of them, led by women, using uh, cell phones, using a lot of sophisticated organizational techniques, despite the fact that that the Iranian authorities have essentially blacked out the Internet throughout the country. Uh... Iranian women are yanking off their hijabs. That was what that young woman apparently had not done right. She was not properly covering her hair. 
And so there are Iranian women who are cutting their hair, which they're not supposed to do, and yanking off their hijabs in public, their headscarves, uh, as a form of protest. And according to many of the women organizers of these protests that literally are happening in every province of the country, first time that's happened since the 1979 revolution, they say they have an enormous amount of support from many men in Iran as well. And it indicates something that has been building up really since the Islamic Revolution, a growing reality that this type of hardline, religiously based controlling regime is not going to make a whole lot of people happy because after a while it is going to focus more and more on keeping its own sense of control in the name, of course, of some sort of sense of religious purity and a betterment for all of society without actually asking those people in society what they want and what they prefer. It remains to be seen if this is going to be the lid blowing off of uh, anti-regime sentiment in Iran that has been building for decades. Who knows? Certainly the Iranians in the past have cracked down very hard on protests against the government using, uh, using the secret police, using the military even if necessary. But certainly the longer this continues to go, the more overwhelmed local police will be throughout the country. Questions about bringing in the military will inevitably follow, and military members, most of whom are conscripted, uh, are going to have to face the choice as to whether or not they want to open fire on their own people in the name of a regime that may not have their best interests, and certainly the best interests of their mothers, their wives, their sisters, and their daughters at heart. So with that in mind, let's, uh, let, we're really going to start right there uh, today. Because uh, we're going to have, it's just going to be me today. I thought about bringing in a, a guest, especially after last week's uh, episode with, with Sarah Byrne Rickman about the Wasp. I thought about bringing somebody in, but uh, I had an experience over the last week, which, which frankly, the, the news clips I just played for you, especially the one on Iran, has something, uh, has something familiar to it and something I want to chat about. Uh, I mentioned at the top of the show, uh, Airway Science for Kids is the sponsor of this show. And I mentioned last week that, on Saturday, they were having a big event down in Vancouver, Washington for Girls in Aviation Day, an international event put on by uh, an organization called Women for Women in Aviation that helps bring young girls and young women uh, more into aerospace, which historically and still currently is a very male-dominated field, whether we're talking about pilots or we're talking about mechanics, engineers, that type of thing. And so because they're such big supporters of this show, I wanted to go down and, uh, and show my support and just see what that was like. And uh, it was amazing. Uh, 350 people came to this event at Pearson Field in Vancouver. And there were a number of different vendors there, including some, some big companies like Alaska Airlines. Uh, the FAA was there uh, to talk uh, to young girls and their families about all the different possibilities uh, out there in aviation and aerospace. And I was fortunate to be in a position where I could really stand back and watch this and pay a lot of attention to how these young girls were reacting to this. And, and whether it was a little girl running around throwing a, a balsa wood glider into the air and saying this is the most amazing thing ever, or um, a, an older uh, young woman talking to uh, different people about how to become a pilot and getting connections and next steps on how to do that and the excitement uh, that was evident uh, on her face, seeing all of those things got me really thinking. Uh, about what this must be like. I mean, as a male, for me, when I think about if I wanted to go into uh, aviation or aerospace, I don't think I'd be thinking about the same things <laughs> that 
that uh, young girls or women would be thinking about. Particularly, I wouldn't be worried about feeling like I was in the minority somehow. Uh, and so I was thinking about that. And then on that same trip down there, I went to a, a professional women's soccer game for the first time. Uh, the Portland Thorns is the team down there. And they play in the same stadium where the, the men's team in Major League Soccer, the Portland Timbers, play. And I've been to a number of Timbers matches before because I like soccer. I'm a pretty big sports fan. And I went uh, to this Thorns uh, game with, with some of the people from Airway Science for Kids. And this is really what brought me to today's uh, topic. I was sitting in the stands, and right in front of me were these two little girls with, I think it was their mom, one of their moms. And they were probably nine years old, maybe a little younger. And they were locked in on this women's soccer match and jumping up and down, screaming, following every every near goal, every shot. They were jumping up and down. They were shouting, oh, with the rest of the crowd. They were cheering when the home team scored, and they scored early and often uh, in a blowout win. But these girls were locked in the whole time, and <laughs> they were – it was amazing. One of them was wearing uh, kind of a pink tutu and uh, and cowboy boots and a white uh, straw fedora. It was quite the wild outfit. Uh, but nevertheless, they were amazed by this. And I just kind of commented to one of the people sitting next to me. I said, how amazing must that be for these young girls to be at a women's professional soccer match? And it's the most normal thing in the world where just 20 years ago. There were no women's professional leagues, or if there were, they were very small and struggling to get support. And certainly there's uh, the WNBA, the, the women's version of the National Basketball Association that's been around about that long and is finding increasing success uh, and increasing exposure on television. And, uh, and certainly the Women's Soccer League now is building and building largely on the success of the U.S. women's national team, which has won several World Cups, a number of other uh, championships and are widely regarded as as being one of the best, if not the best, uh, women's soccer team in the world. And certainly in America, we love a winner. Right? We like we like our our teams to be number one in in everything. And oftentimes, if they aren't number one, we don't like to watch them or cheer for them. But that's what got me thinking. And and of course, I then noticed and this was the interesting part. I then noticed how unique that very thought was that I had about these. These young girls. Had I been at a male men's soccer match and there were two young boys and I'd just been to a Timbers game two weeks before and had seen this very thing, I wouldn't I wasn't sitting there going, wow, this must be an amazing thing for these young boys to be at this men's soccer match. Because men's soccer has been around forever and it's been popular forever. And certainly the the major sports leagues in this country, just as an example, are they're male dominated exclusively, right? We're talking about Major League Baseball, we're talking about the National Football League. Talking about the National Basketball Association, the National Hockey League. And there's nothing wrong with that. Okay? But I just thought it was really interesting that I was sitting to myself going, wow, this women's soccer league is really a thing. And then I realized it was the first women's professional anything that I had ever been to before. And I'm 49 years old. I consider myself not only a big sports fan, but a big advocate for women's equality. And yet it was the first time I'd ever been to one. Now, I didn't rake myself over the coals for that, but it did seem notable. And in light of what is happening in Iran, in light of all the conversations going on in this country with the end of the Roe v. Wade decision and the Dobbs decision a few months ago, and everything that unleashed around abortion and, and protections of contraception going forward, 
maybe the introduction of a bill to ban abortion nationally, uh, despite the fact assurances that that wasn't going to happen. And then other things that I began to uncover. Uh, I thought that perhaps today it might be good. And I guess I know where some of you are thinking we're going to talk about women's rights today. Actually, I want to speak to men today about that subject. So certainly if you are a woman listening to this, uh, however you identify, please keep listening. But I really am going to address today's show uh, to the male listeners to have some conversations about what I was just talking about, not women's soccer or anything like that, but this notion of how do we view women and why? And what are the assumptions that we perhaps have grown up with that we may perhaps perpetuate without knowing that we are perpetuating them, without realizing it? Uh, what are the fears that we may have? And I realize this is a very broad subject and there are going to be lots of different opinions about this uh, among men and women. But I really want to ask everybody to really take a look, particularly men, at why these conversations and how these conversations are, can often be uncomfortable for us with ourselves, with the women that we know in our lives, maybe with other men about these things, and why that is and what we can do about it. What can we contribute? What, how can we be uh, in light of all of these various things? Uh, that are going on where women are being targeted uh, for discrimination, being arrested for not having their headscarf on, or in this country, maybe getting arrested if they're in the state of Texas for trying to get an abortion outside of the state. What can we do? Okay. And it, I don't mean just politically. I don't mean, I don't really even mean that specifically. I mean about our own attitudes our own perceptions. What can we find inside that can be helpful to all of this for ourselves and for the women we know in our lives? So when we come back uh, on This Show is All About You, I want to talk about a couple of other things that once I had this idea in mind for a topic, I started looking up stuff going on with women in the world and found some pretty shocking stuff going on. And then I'm going to have some thoughts and some questions for all the male listeners out there. So come on right back on This Show is All About You. Stick around. I'm Julia Cannell, Executive Director of Airway Science for Kids. We sponsor this show is all about you because it exemplifies our core values, connectivity, communication, emotional intelligence, positivity, respect, and the power of possibility. Help us introduce historically excluded youth to all of these through the wonder and promise of aviation and aerospace careers. Airway Science for Kids, providing aerospace to all. Visit airsci.org to learn more and to contribute your talents. Don't ask me to talk. Don't ask me to talk is a program about sharing something good. Hosted by me, Stacy Heller, with my co-host and my mom's favorite, Eric Ryder. Don't ask me to talk echoes what we're talking about when we aren't being so serious. We'll highlight what's good to watch, read, see, listen to, and more with a reoccurring spot with Vance Dingfelder of Dingfelder's Delicatessen called What Are We Eating? Tune in Thursdays from 3 to 4 on AM 880 KIXI. Welcome back, everyone, to This Show is All About You. I'm your host, J.D.K. Winnikin, talking about talking to men today about women. <laughs> and, no, and no, I'm not talking about 
romantically or anything like that. I'm just talking about our assumptions, uh, preset uh, ideas, uh, strongly held opinions, uh, maybe our jokes or our fallback positions on things that are affecting uh, not just women around the world, but the women in our lives. And I left off, um, we're certainly talking about the what's going on in Iran currently and what that might be. And certainly uh, women's rights and women's issues are at the forefront of many discussions going on in this country right now, especially leading up to the November midterm elections. Uh, in particular, seeing to what degree that is going to be a driving force to bring people to the polls one way or the other. So with that in mind, as I kind of came upon this topic as perhaps something to talk about, I started looking for some other things going on that that might be interesting. And some things came up that were pretty, um, I think, worth knowing about. So, for example, over the weekend, uh, the BBC and the Guardian newspaper had a big report on a so-called incel Reddit uh, area online. And incels are uh, online, pretty much exclusively online uh, groups of men. They identify themselves as incels who consider themselves to be involuntarily celibate, uh, that uh, they blame women for the fact that they can't seem to connect with any of them, have relationships, um, be able to have any sort of, of intimacy with them, sexual and otherwise. And uh, they blame women for this. And in the most extreme uh, elements, which is becoming more and more the norm, uh, target women for hatred, for violence, denunciation, that type of thing. Well, this report uh, from the BBC over the weekend indicated that one of the largest Reddit groups on the Internet is an incel group with hundreds of thousands of members in it. And that uh, every half hour, some sort of uh, topic about rape in particular, uh, being inflicted on women was popping up on the site on an average of every half hour, uh, which was certainly shocking. And there's been a lot of movement in the UK in particular, and not quite as much in the US, but it is picking up on authorities cracking down and certainly on companies cracking down on these online forums where these largely individualized, uh, kind of separated, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Isolated. That's it. Isolated men are finding others like them and they are feeding each other's angst, anger, hatred, in some cases violence. And this violence has gotten ugly at times. Just a few years ago, several women were killed in Toronto uh, by someone who identified as an incel. And of course, back in 2014 in Santa Barbara, uh, a self-identified incel went on a shooting rampage, killing 13 people, most of them women that he randomly targeted because he truly believed that women were out there conspiring to make sure he stayed alone uh, and loveless and sexless for his whole life. So that that culture is out there, and it seems to be growing in this age of the Internet, social media, that supposedly connects us, but really in a lot of ways becomes more indicative and contributory to more of a sense of isolation and lack of connection in any real way that obscures what's actually happening. Uh, so that was one thing that seemed to be worth mentioning in this. Another one, a report uh, just today in the Hindustan Times talking about uh, the upcoming World Cup, like the biggest sporting event in the world, which in November is going to be held in Qatar. Normally it's held in the summer every four years, but Qatar is so incredibly hot in the summertime. They moved it to November when it's only, you know, 115 degrees as opposed to 130 degrees. But Qatar, a very, very small uh, country, got the World Cup under pretty shady circumstances a number of years ago. Uh, that nobody could really prove there was corruption there in terms of paying off different countries to vote for them to host it. Uh, but also a lot of the stadiums that were built in the country were built essentially using slave labor uh, from around not only the Middle East, but elsewhere. Uh, 
certainly indentured servitude at best. In that, but this story wasn't so much about that. What it was about was that a number of women's fan groups and LBGTQ plus groups are not going to Qatar uh, to root for their national teams during the World Cup because laws in Qatar do not protect women or LGBTQ plus uh, people in any way, shape, or form. And in fact, if a woman uh, in Qatar has sexual relations with somebody who is not uh, their spouse or is raped in Qatar, they can be brought on trial in Qatar under Qatari law and punished. That is just simply the laws there. And so there are groups around the world warning women and LGBTQ plus organizations not to go, despite the fact that uh, the international governing body of soccer, FIFA, has said they've gotten assurances from the Qatari government that none of those things are going to be applied. Why would anyone from those groups really want to go? And this is a very real thing. During the Euro, uh, the Euro Cup this past summer uh, that was held in various places, but in, the final was held at Wembley Stadium in London, one of the biggest stadiums in the world. There were 72 reported sexual attacks on women during that match in that stadium or on the outside of that stadium. So this is a real thing. And that's in, that's in England, right? So with laws that are meant to protect people from assault. What happens in a place where women are targeted for sexual assault if it happens to them, where men are not held accountable in any way, shape, or form? That, to me, really stuck out. I mean, it's getting to the point for me that I'm not even sure I want to watch the World Cup in Qatar. There's so many things that are so ugly about it that uh, a part of me feels like I would just be contributing to this problem if I even watched. Well, we'll see. But nevertheless, that was, that was another one. And, of course, in this country, there are continued discussions about uh, not just a national ban on abortion that uh, when Roe versus Wade was overturned, the Roe decision was overturned a few months ago, many on the political right came out and said, well, that's, let's send it back to the states, send it back to the states. Well, certainly there are senators, Lindsey Graham and others, that are putting forward this idea of a national abortion ban. And the newest Republican platform uh, putting out for the midterm elections, which uh, Kevin McCarthy, uh, the head of the Republicans in the House, just put forward, says they will protect all unborn babies and their mothers. They don't say how they're going to do that, uh, particularly mothers who, you know, whose lives are threatened uh, by having a baby. They don't say, they don't have any specifics on that. But nevertheless, as that's going on and conversations about whether contraception, the free availability or the open free availability of contraceptions, contraceptives to women will be targeted next. Hmm. It, these all bring up questions to me that I want to address towards men in particular. And this includes myself. What I noticed over this past weekend was, despite the fact that I consider myself to be a pretty, I don't know, I guess, open-headed, open-minded guy on a lot of things. I, I'm willing to hear other people's points of view. I certainly consider women to be equal to men. I don't really care that much um, if people choose to identify a certain way or other. To me, it's not my business. Uh, it's theirs. Despite that, I found that I had internalized quite a few things uh, about some of these things in my life, about how women are viewed and that type of thing. So I began to dig in deeper, and I want to know if any of these following things, I mean, certainly we can take a look at all the things I just mentioned and go, man, that's horrible. I would like to think that the majority of men out there are against sexual assault. <laughs> so, uh, and, if, and if you aren't, uh, well, chances are you're not listening to this show, but if you aren't, uh, we have a real problem on our hands. Uh, 
nevertheless, it doesn't have to be so stark on these things. So I began talking with some women that I know in my life and began looking up some, maybe some of the subtler things uh, that sometimes we can run into. And the conversations that I had with these women was really eye-opening to me and uh, sobering at times, in particular around the things that women, I'm finding out, think about a lot that I don't ever have to think about or I, I, that d- didn't even occur to me to think about. So, for example, when I leave my house every day um, and I'm going somewhere, whether I'm going to the store or going to the gym, going out for a walk, maybe in the morning or maybe in the evening, I can tell you, I might, here's what I think about. Um, Do I have warm clothes on or cool enough clothes on? Do I have water if I'm going on a run? Do I have what I need or is there a store along the way where I can stop and get something? I tell you what I don't think about. I don't think about my safety. I'm going to let that sink in for a minute. I don't think about, am I going to be attacked by somebody when I'm walking through a parking lot or through a parking garage? And I go through parking garages on a regular basis. I don't think about my safety when I'm walking to my car. I don't think, I don't wonder if someone is following me in the grocery store or following me out of the grocery store. But come to find out from women I've talked to, it's something that they think about every time they leave their house. (laughs) And I'm laughing ironically because it's incredibly sad to me. Uh, And when I think about the women in my life who that, that must be true for, the idea that that is something that they go through on a regular basis is upsetting to me. Something else. Um, Women in a professional setting, how they dress. When I get dressed to go to a meeting for work or, you know, for, a, for an event that I'm a part of or a speaking engagement, what I'm thinking about is, okay, do I look good? Do I feel comfortable? Do I look professional? Will, will this look good for the audience that I'm going to be talking to? What I don't think about is how masculine do I look and will I be respected by, from what I wear? But a lot of women express this. How can they look feminine? and feel comfortable in the clothes they're in, but also be considered respectable and professional. I don't think about that. I expect my professionalism to come by how I'm behaved and honestly to be given to me by the positions that I am in, whatever that might be. A lot of women wonder about that when they walk into professional situations. And of course, I've known for a really, really long time that women still to this day do not get paid the equal amount that men do, particularly in um, high professional competitive environments. And I've always sort of known that. I've always been against that. And yet it didn't trickle down to me until I had these conversations that it could manifest itself every single day in how women were deciding to dress for the day. Add to the top of that the expectations that women have that about all the things they need to do to quote unquote do themselves up for the day, all the details, makeup, hair, shoes. I don't even know everything that's out there. Jewelry, fragrances. I don't know. Certainly men can get negative um, messaging from media, just like women can on what it means to be a man like women can to what does it mean to be a a beautiful woman? Certainly there's that. And yet, (laughs) There seem to be a lot more layers and a lot more details and a lot more boxes to check 
uh, for women, generally speaking, than for men. And I certainly don't go into all that walking out going, I wonder how this will play for my colleagues. I just don't worry about it. It's not, it's not, not something that comes to mind. Here's something else that doesn't come to mind to me very much. Will it be misunderstood if I'm being friendly? Friendly with other men, friendly with women. The idea, many women I've talked to have said sometimes they're not, they're not so sure when they meet men in particular how friendly to be. Because friendly could be interpreted as flirting. Just being friendly could be interest. And many men can take it that way. Or at least there's the fear that men will take it that way. Rather than just simply being friendly. Now, there are I certainly want to make sure that if I'm meeting a woman, I'm being friendly. <laughs> At the same time, I know pretty clearly the line between being friendly and flirting. And in professional environments, I just simply don't cross it. I just don't. Because nothing good comes from that. At the same time, again, it's not something I think about on a regular basis. In addition, here's something else I don't think about. What will it be like if I'm out in a, non, in a public setting or something like that and I turn somebody down, turn a woman down who's expressed interest or a conversation? I don't worry about what's going to happen after that. I really don't worry, is the woman going to attack me? Um, is she going to cuss me out? Is she going to uh, make a scene in the place that I'm in? I don't worry about that. Women are concerned about this. <laughs> and, and I took all this from talking to these women, and I began looking around more and more, doing research about it. And I found that these are really common things. There's even more to all of this. I never worry about when I'm walking around in public getting catcalled. I don't. I don't worry about men whistling at me or calling out something uh, suggestive to me. I certainly don't think about women doing that, and I've, it's, I've never experienced that in my life. But it's something that it just doesn't cross my mind as I'm walking through places that this might happen. I also don't anticipate when getting on the subway or getting on the bus or any other sort of public transportation, I don't really worry about if a woman sits down next to me, what that's, what that's going to mean or what that, what that could imply. The sense of personal safety on a day-in, day-out and personal acceptance of, of somebody as an equal in a given environment is not something I think about at all, I realized, on most days. Also, I don't worry so much about the backlash that I might get, particularly sexist backlash, for saying these types of things that I'm saying right now. I don't really worry about that. I might get some. I might get some from men calling me a number of different names. I certainly know that there might be women who could reach out who disagree with a little of what I say or some of what I say or some of what I didn't say. But I, that doesn't concern me in terms of it going to the next step of me feeling threatened by that. Being targeted by sexist messaging online or in person is not something I concern myself about. Because it doesn't happen this way towards men the way it does towards women. And so women speaking out, advocating for themselves, joining online groups, talking about events that are coming up where women can show solidarity with one another or advocate for certain things. The messaging that they get on Twitter, on message boards everywhere, 
It's not just incels who get ugly, but people who don't identify that way. And it is scary. And I encourage every man out there who's unsettled by this the way I am to spend some time next time you come across one of these things online, whatever platform it is, scroll down and check out the messages, check out the replies, and then go somewhere from a site that a man is putting forward about something and see the difference. Certainly men can get called names by other men for their whatever their political position or anything like that. But very rarely will you see men advocating violence, abject violence, particularly sexual violence against other men because they disagree with them. It's rough. And of course, then women also face a lot more pressure than men do to balance so-called family life and their own ambitions. I've never thought about that. I don't have kids. I've never had to really make that choice. Uh, but even if I did have them, I don't think I'd be thinking about it as much. I might be thinking about my responsibility to my kids and to my work, but never that I have to choose one over the other. That seems kind of weird to me. And if it feels weird to me, in an equal society, it should feel weird for women to have to be thinking about that too. For anybody to have to be thinking about that too. Having to have both doesn't mean that one becomes less important. It means that they both have to be integrated into larger life somehow. So these are just a few of examples. We could find a lot more. Right? But when we come back from the second break, I want to ask some pretty pointed questions to my fellow men out there and give some suggestions about maybe some ways that we can actually maybe take a good look at ourselves as the starting point for being better advocates for ourselves and supporters of women in the world. Come on back. This show is all about you. Kids never have trouble dreaming about their future. The challenge is providing them the resources and opportunities to reach them. This is especially true from historically underserved communities. Fortunately, there's an organization that can help those dreams become reality. Airway Science for Kids helps underserved youth develop life and career pathways through exploration of aviation and aerospace. Using in-person and virtual programs, along with partnerships with companies, educational institutions, community health providers, and other resources, Airway Science for Kids helps students not only find their dream careers, but also learn how to better advocate for themselves and connect more effectively with their families, peers, and communities. To find out more, visit airsci.org. That's A-I-R-S-C-I.org. Or email info at airsci.org. Airway Science for Kids, providing aerospace for all. Welcome back, everyone, to this show is all about you. I'm your host, J.D.K. Winnikin. Um, hopefully, people like me getting comfortable with the discomfort of today's subject, and that is, men, how are we different from women? And really, what does it mean for us, that for those of us who believe in women's equality, and maybe those of us who struggle with how to talk about these things uh, and how to accept that there are these differences? in men and women's experience uh, in the world, how we can better come to terms with that with ourselves and maybe make changes in our own behavior, our own perceptions 
that can have a larger benefit not only to the women that we know and mean the most to us, but to women in general around the world who, if you listened earlier, uh, I gave a lot of examples. Um, they are not being treated equal. <laughs> and that is not news, of course. Uh, but oftentimes we kind of keep all of that at a distance, right? It becomes an out there issue rather than an in our own lives, never mind an in our own minds um, and precepts uh, idea. So with that, this last section uh, of the show today, it's easy for me to point out all the challenges and all the differences and, and all of that. And the idea is not to shame all of you fellow men out there that you all suck when it comes to women and that, uh, that we're all, that we're all terrible on this. It's not that it's really to say, ask the question, a, a few pointed questions that are fairly open-ended. What is it? The first one, what is it about this that makes us so uncomfortable? It's a fundamental question. What is it about it when it comes to standing up for women's equality, when it comes to uh, how we feel about it, when it comes to how do we view the women in our own lives, how do we view the nature of our relationships? Why is this so hard? I can venture a guess, um, but I think it's probably safer to talk about my own experience. In my own experience, the first hurdle to it is that it's just emotionally uncomfortable. I can feel it right now <laughs> and I'm advocating this and I can say it's uncomfortable to talk about. And sometimes we run from discomfort. That is not exclusively men. That's human beings. We can run from discomfort, but we don't have to. In fact, sometimes the best thing we can do in any situation is to recognize when something has us uncomfortable and to be, work on getting uncomfortable or getting comfortable with that discomfort because in there, in that discomfort, we might find ourselves more willing to take a harder look at ourselves and interestingly enough, perhaps be more open with ourselves about the areas where we can improve and the attitudes that we can take a look at. And it doesn't happen fast, doesn't have to, and it certainly doesn't have to be done perfectly, but certainly we can take those steps. So in that spirit of getting comfortable with the, un with the uncomfortable. Let's talk about this a little bit. I've talked with men about their frustrations with women <laughs> and what can happen. And, and oftentimes it, it seems around smaller things that can get blown up into bigger things. Like I don't even know when I go on a date anymore, if a, if a woman wants me to open the door for her anymore, or, you know, some women like that, some don't, I don't know what to do as if one answer is the same for all women now. So why is it that we have to consider women all one category rather than as individual people who each happens to be a woman and instead have to say, okay, women like this now, or they don't like this now. The easiest thing to do, it seems to me in that situation or any situation like that would be simply to ask. <laughs> and I'm laughing because it sounds very simple and it is. And yet if you, if that brings up any discomfort for you, I ask again, why the discomfort? Could it be because that's actually stepping out and saying, what are you most comfortable with? And having maybe the moment feel a little maybe awkward for you because it's new. If you ask a woman if she, if she's okay with you opening the door for her or not into a restaurant, car, pulling the chair out, she can say yes or no. <laughs> And whatever she says doesn't mean that 
a woman you go on a date with next week who's different is going to say the exact same thing. You can ask again. Right? The power of asking, it sounds so fundamental, but it is so often not. A lot of men in my experience want to know the right thing to do without having to ask. Want to know the right thing to say without taking the risk of having something come out awkwardly or poorly or having a conflict emerge over it or a disagreement. Certainly that's really prevalent in the relationship area, right? In, in dating and marriages and that type of thing. But I think it's pretty, it's, it's pretty common. And again, it's not that just men like to do that. A lot of people become concerned about that, want to be able to say the right thing without taking any risks. But for me, at least, when I think about that, what I come to, if I'm being really honest with myself, is really what I'm running into is my own fear of how it will look and how it will feel if I stumble over that or if I have a conversation with a woman about these things and it doesn't feel fantastic. It feels strange and unwieldy. Then there might be discomfort to it. Well, if that's the case then the real problem in that situation isn't whether the woman wants the door open for her or not. The problem is me looking at myself in the mirror. That's where the problem is. What is it about me that I don't always want to ask? And again, it's not, not a question of judgment. It's a question that if we can ask ourselves from a place of curiosity, from being okay with that discomfort, we can actually be open to maybe some different ideas on not only what's happening, but what we can do. Connecting with people, whether it's women in our lives or men, and this is really true with other men, in intimate, emotional ways, is a really difficult thing for a lot of men. And I ask men to think about, who are the men in your life that you can talk about anything with? And I mean anything. What's going on in your life? What's going on in your head? The fears that you may have about what's going on the challenges you might be having in the workplace, in your relationships, maybe raising your kids. Who are those people to you? Do you have them? If you don't, why don't you? What would it be like for you if you did? How would that feel? Not just in an uncomfortable sense, but in a good sense. Because I can tell you, I've done a lot of that work, working with men over the last, oh man, decade plus. And there are a lot of men out there who really need male connection to talk about these things. And in this, if you think that this is just about guys being guys, I'm not talking about sitting back and just enjoying the game and talking about stuff surface level. I'm talking about digging in deep on these things and talking about the very subject that I've brought to the air today. Who are women to us in a real honest way? Why do we think the things we do? Why do we act the way we do? What are the things we learned as kids from media, from our religious upbringing, from our family experience that has shaped how we view women and how we view how we're supposed to relate to them? Where did that come from? Was any of it not so good? (laughs) Was any of it problematic? And are we repeating any of the things that are problematic that we experienced growing up? If we can find that space with other men, that can be a really powerful series of first steps 
to being more open with ourselves and with other women, taking chances to ask those questions, even something as simple as, do you like the door open for you or not? Because what that does is it does something for men that I think sometimes is part of the problem. And this is just me talking. Sometimes if we don't have those connections with our male friends in real ways, what can happen is the women in our lives suddenly take on this big central role that oftentimes can come out, whether we're talking about a family member, a spouse, a partner, can be a central role of having to rescue us or comfort us or a source of identity. For example, I'm a husband, she's my wife. Right? When, we're, when we can connect with other men, women don't have to be any of those things. They can just be who they are, that individual woman that we know in whatever capacity we're talking about. That lets them be who they are. It helps us set them free of our expectations, maybe our attempts to need, uh, to need them, quote unquote, to control them, perhaps manipulate things without having to take any risks. Most men I know don't want to think that they might be manipulating situations. But what I can say from my own experience and from the experience of talking with many other men in my life about this is that if we are not willing to take steps to be intimate and be vulnerable with women in our lives, that means we're trying to manipulate something. We're trying to keep ourselves emotionally safe and emotionally comfortable. We don't have to do that. And sometimes, oftentimes, Working that out, having those conversations, those types of things and experiencing with the male friends in our lives shows that we can do it. And if we can do that with the men in our lives, it can make it easier to do it with the women in our lives without making them into something so much bigger than what they are. They don't need to be the end-all, be-all of everything that we do <laughs> and everything that we think and everything that we are. They can just be the women in our lives, the individual women that we know. And then we can see them better as who they are rather than what we need them or want them to be for ourselves. What else does that do? It helps us then take responsibility for our own ideas, our actions, our mistakes when it comes to the women in our lives and to learn from them and more importantly than that, apply them. What that does, too, is that type of vulnerability practice, if you will, or engaging in that with ourselves and with the men in our lives. It helps really remove that notion of being the victim in all this. Right. The incels that I talked about earlier in the show is just the, the worst possible example of that victimhood. Right. We are victims of women who they believe are literally out to keep them celibate and keep them single, and keep them miserable. That's an extreme form of victimization. Just because it's extreme doesn't mean it's not widespread, because it's all over the place. There are incels and, and, and forums in almost every country in the world. But that victim, that victim stance does not need to be that extreme to either A, exist, or B, not be a real problem. Finally, <laughs> we can see it in some of the things that we can say sometimes to women. And I've, I've seen a lot of this. And sometimes I've done these in the past. 
One that I hear a lot because I go to a lot of sporting events is a man turning to a woman and going, wow, you really know a lot about blank (laughs) sports as if somehow that's remarkable. Why is that remarkable? She's a woman who knows a lot about baseball. Ask yourself the question. It's an open-ended one. Another one. Wow, you're really cranky. Is it that time of the month again? Another one. Well, you support this. Therefore, you must be that. You support women's rights. Therefore, you must be a liberal. It packages them in ways that we don't often do to ourselves, guys. You calling me out on this this situation blank. You must be insecure, jealous, or pick a, pick a name that women can be called in this. Being held accountable means something's wrong with them. They're bitchy. They're cranky. They're angry. Rather than they might just be stating their position. If any of these you've either said before, thought before, laughed about before, then it means you've had these conditioned into you on some level. And just by seeing them and being aware of them and admitting they're there is the first step to letting go of them. They don't have to be nuked out of existence. They just need to be evident and visible before we can let them go. And all men in some way, shape, or form have internalized these things over time. So if we can admit to ourselves that we might have done those things, if it were possible, what would be possible for changes in our lives? What might that open up? What would that curiosity do if we disconnect it from anxiety and fear of looking bad? We might see other people as imperfect and allow ourselves to be the same way. We might learn ways to better handle conflict with each other and with women as well. And our worldviews may be changeable. And if you really believe your worldview is the right one, you shouldn't be afraid of putting it under scrutiny. So with that in mind, just some things to think about from this episode of This Show is All About You. Thanks for diving into this, uh, especially if you stuck with it and you were uncomfortable the whole way. Good job. What does that tell you that you could do? (laughs) Check me out at wordsbyjdk.com. Or get this wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, that's, that's the great thing about it. It's available everywhere. Just a few thank yous on the way out. This show is all about you. Is produced and distributed by Hubbard Radio Seattle. Today, Nathan Miller is my in-studio producer, editor, and mix master. Thank you, Nathan. show is made possible by the generous sponsorship of Airway Science for Kids. And the original theme music is by Dave Nelson of Lens Group Media. Special thanks for contributing to this episode and all that went well for me this week goes to Julia Cannell, Tawny and Dave Santabria, Bruce Bullard, Antoinette Bernardo, Lizbeth Siskar, Stacey Heller, Bruce Flommer, Katie Beck, and Eric Crema. Special thanks to the women of Iran, to the mothers of the dying sons in Ukraine and in Russia, to all those calling out the abuses of Qatar around the World Cup, to those working to help men out of the incel online communities, and to organizations like Airway Science for Kids for helping underserved youth find better pathways than all the ones I've listed above. And to you listeners, thank you. I could not do this for you without you. And finally, as a way to send you off into the rest of the week, let's end with this original haiku. The freedoms we seek start inside us, then must grow to include us all. Chins up, everyone. <laughs>